Chapters 13 through 15 of The Wonder Worker of Padua by Charles Warren Stoddard. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 13 Anthony's Sermon on the Monastic Life. The secret of Anthony's marvelous success we do not know. One may have thought it his voice, another his manner, and yet another his beautiful countenance, his piety his fervor, his persuasive eloquence were all important aids. Yet perhaps these alone might not have swayed the masses as he swayed them. He was master of the situation, alone, unrivaled. In a word, he was altogether irresistible. It is a marvel that we know so little of one so great. One of the most conspicuous figures of his time he is yet but a shadow in the history of that time, or rather, as a bright and shining light, elusive, like a will-o'-wisp, startling and evasive like the meteor. The truth is, he was not of this world. The details of his life are scanty. Someone in the fourteenth century cried out almost in despair, We know not half of the beautiful actions of our hero most of them have been allowed to fall into oblivion either by reason of the deplorable carelessness of his first biographers or through lack of authentic documents this is the more surprising when we find the little testimony that is preserved to us aglow with almost boundless enthusiasm in the lucerne manuscript saint antoine pere hilaire observes his soul was like a fair garden fertilized by the showers of divine grace where bloomed the sweetest flowers of heaven spreading around their fragrant odor these flowers were meekness and humility poverty and penance fervor and zeal wisdom and prudence beyond all praise were his eloquence the gracefulness of his manners his nobility of character his gentleness and kindness whether in the pulpit or the confessional with the clergy or laity he everywhere and at all times evinced that spirit of prudence which gives the golden mean to all the virtues and exhibited that utter forgetfulness of self which won him the love of all in a word he was indeed the beloved of god and men when anthony went to limoges in twelve twenty six he preached in the cemetery of St. Paul's Church, probably on All Souls' Day. A Benedictine writer has preserved the beautiful text which was taken from the sixth verse of Psalm 29. In the evening weeping shall have peace, and in the morning gladness. A brief exposition of the text has been found among his notes, most likely a synopsis of this sermon there is a threefold evening and a threefold morning he says a threefold weeping and a threefold gladness the threefold evening is first the sad evening of the fall of our first parents in paradise second the sad evening of the passion and death of our redeemer and third the sad evening of our own fast approaching death the threefold morning is first the glad morning of the birth of the messiah second the glad morning of the lord's resurrection and third 
the glad morning of our own future resurrection conceive what an effect this sermon must have produced as it fell from those inspired lips upon the ears of the mourners among the graves on the day following his address in the cemetery anthony preached in a franciscan abbey not far from the church of st paul and his notes of this sermon on the monastic life happily preserved to us are so full we gain from them a pretty clear idea of his treatment of a theme on the text who will give me wings like a dove and i will fly and be at rest he says such is the cry of a soul that is weary of this world and longs for the solitude and peace of the cloister life it was of the religious life that jeremiah spoke when he said leave the cities and dwell in the rock you that dwell in moab and be ye like the dove that maketh her nest in the mouth of the hole in the highest place leave the cities the sins and vices which dishonor the tumult which prevents the soul from rising to god and often even from thinking of him leave the cities for it is written i have seen iniquity and contradiction in the city day and night shall iniquity surround it upon its walls and in the midst thereof are labor and injustice and usury and deceits have not departed from its streets there is to be found iniquity against god and man contradiction against the preacher of truth labor in the ambitious cares of the world injustice in its dealings knavery and usury in its business transactions ye that dwell in moab that is in the world which is seated in pride as the city of moab all is pride in the world pride of the intellect which refuses to humble itself before god pride of the will which refuses to submit to the will of god pride of the senses which rebel against reason and dominate it but to leave the world to live remote from the tumult of cities to keep oneself unspotted from their vices is not sufficient for the religious soul hence the prophet adds dwell in the rock now this rock is jesus christ establish yourself in him let him be the constant theme of your thoughts the object of your affections jacob reposed upon a stone in the wilderness and while he slept he saw the heavens opened and conversed with angels receiving a blessing from the lord thus will it be with those who place their entire trust in jesus christ they will be favored with heavenly visions they will live in the company of angels they will be blessed as jacob was to the north and south to the east and west to the north which is the divine breath mortifying the flesh and its concupiscences to the east which is the light of faith and the merit of good works to the south which is the full meridian splendor of wisdom and charity to the west which is the burial of the old man with his vices but as to the soul which does not repose upon this rock it cannot expect to be blessed by the lord and be ye like the dove that maketh her nest in the mouth of the hole in the highest place 
If Jesus Christ is the rock, the whole of the rock in which this religious soul is to seek shelter and take up her abode, is the wound in the side of Jesus Christ. This is the safe harbor of refuge to which the divine spouse calls the religious soul when he speaks to her in the words of the canticle, Arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come, my dove in the cliffs of the rock, in the hollow places of the wall. The divine spouse speaks of the numberless cliffs of the rock, but he also speaks of the deep hollow. There were indeed in his body numberless wounds, and one deep wound in his side. This leads to his heart, and it is hither he calls the soul he has espoused. To her he extends his arms. To her he opens wide his sacred side and divine heart, that she may come and hide therein. By retiring into the cliffs of the rock, the dove is safe from the pursuit of the birds of prey, and at the same time she prepares for herself a quiet refuge, where she may calmly repose and coo in peace. So the religious soul finds in the heart of Jesus a secure refuge against the wiles and attacks of Satan, and a delightful retreat. But we must not rest merely at the entrance to the hole in the rock, we must penetrate its depths. At the mouth of the deep hollow, at the mouth of the wound in his side, we shall indeed find the precious blood which has redeemed us. This blood pleads for us and demands mercy for us, but the religious soul must not stay at the entrance. When she has heard and understood the voice of the divine blood, she must hasten to the very source from which it springs into the very innermost sanctuary of the heart of jesus there she will find light peace and ineffable consolations and be ye like the dove that maketh her nest in the deep hollow of the rock the dove builds her nest with little pieces of straw she gathers up here and there how are we to build up an abode in the heart of jesus this divine saviour who so mercifully gives us the place wherein we are to make our abode furnishes us at the same time with the materials wherewith to construct it o religious soul dove beloved of christ behold those little pieces of straw which the world tramples under its feet they are the virtues practised by thy saviour and thy spouse of which he himself has set thee an example humility meekness poverty penance patience and mortification the world despises them as useless pieces of straw nevertheless they will be for thee the material wherewith to construct thy dwelling place forever in the profound hollow of the rock in the heart of jesus thus anthony preached to thousands and tens of thousands and they followed him when he had finished speaking for it seemed that they could never have enough of him it was his custom to preface his sermons with this prayer which he himself composed o light of the world infinite god father of eternity giver of wisdom and knowledge and ineffable dispenser of every spiritual grace who knowest all things before they are made who makest the darkness and the light put forth thy hand and touch my mouth and make it as a sharp sword to utter eloquently thy words make my tongue o lord as a chosen arrow 
to declare faithfully thy wonders. Put thy spirit, O Lord, in my heart, that I may perceive, in my soul that I may retain, and in my conscience that I may meditate. Do thou lovingly, holily, mercifully, clemently, and gently inspire me with thy grace. Do thou teach, guide, and strengthen the comings in and goings out of my senses and my thoughts. And let thy discipline instruct me even to the end, and the counsel of the Most High help me. Through thine infinite wisdom and mercy. Amen. So shone this light with a glow as a fire from heaven in the so-called dark ages. Chapter 14. Anthony the Wonder Worker that miracles have occurred and are occurring even in our own day there is no shadow of doubt what is a miracle according to worcester a miracle is an effect of which the antecedent cannot be referred to any secondary cause an event or occurrence which cannot be explained by any known law of nature a deviation from the established law of nature something not only superhuman but preternatural a prodigy a wonder a marvel thousands of eyewitnesses bore testimony in their day to the wonders worked by anthony in france and italy it would seem that his fame must have preceded him and that wherever he went his approach must have been heralded and his appearance hailed with enthusiasm by expectant and animated throngs this was not the case obedient to the voice of his superiors he went wheresoever he was bidden went alone and unannounced a stranger in a strange land unrecognized of any until he had lifted that voice whose persuasive eloquence no one was long able to withstand then came his triumph complete and overwhelming triumph followed upon triumph until at last the land rang with his praises on every hand he gave abundant proof of the divine power which he was called upon to exercise following in the footsteps of his blessed master he healed the sick raised the dead and wakened the living to life everlasting preaching once upon a time in the pulpit of the church of st eusebius in vicelli a small italian city then an independent republic like many another city of that day vast crowds pressed about him suddenly a great commotion arose with difficulty a grief-stricken family bore toward him the body of one of their number cut down in the prime of life a great wail went up from the people anthony paused in his discourse profoundly moved recollecting himself he extended his hand toward the body and cried in the name of christ i say unto you young man arise and immediately the youth arose from the dead full of joy restored to health and to the arms of those who had bewailed him great is the number and the variety of the wonders worked by anthony here are a few of them taken at random from the pages of his several chroniclers he was preaching in the cathedral at montpellier in the presence of the clergy and the vast multitude it was easter sunday 
In the midst of his discourse he suddenly remembered that he had been appointed to sing at solemn high mass in the choir of a neighboring convent chapel. He had forgotten this. He had even forgotten to find a substitute, and the hour of the mass was at hand. This seemed to him an act of disobedience, and in his distress he drew his cowl over his face, sank back in the pulpit, and remained silent for a long time. The people, in amazement, watched and waited. At the moment when he ceased speaking in the cathedral, though all the while visible to the congregation, he appeared in the convent choir among his brethren and sang his office. At the close of the service he recovered himself in the pulpit of the cathedral and, as his chronicler says, finished his sermon with incomparable eloquence. Anthony had completed his commentary on the Psalms, the fruit of long vigilance and profound meditation. A novice, weary of the religious life and its ceaseless austerities, resolved to return to the world, and, coveting Anthony's precious manuscript, he captured it and fled. The young rascal could have had no sense of humor, or he would hardly have turned his back upon the cloister and sought the mixed society of the world, the flesh, and the devil with a stolen copy of a commentary on the Psalms as his companion. Probably he hoped to profit by it in a worldly way, but in this he was strangely thwarted. Upon discovering his loss, Anthony had, as ever, recourse to prayer. At that very moment the fleeting youth was confronted by a monstrous creature that ordered him to return at once to the abbey and restore the commentary to its author. This he was now only too glad to do, and the saint rejoiced at the recovery of his manuscript, as well as of the soul that was in peril, received the novice with every mark of affection. Nor was his loving-kindness ill-bestowed, for the lad became one of the most favored of the faithful. As St. Francis hushed the caroling birds in the Venetian lagoon, saying, Cease your singing a little while until we have rendered to God our homage of praise. So Anthony rebuked the clamoring frogs in a noisy pool at the convent of Montpellier, and they thereafter observed a respectable silence at the hours of prayer. At Puy-en-Veillet, he converted a notary of dissolute habits and violent temper. When they met in the streets, Anthony would bow to the notary, and the latter would fly into a rage, believing that he was in mockery. Still, Anthony saluted him reverently and more reverently, whereupon the notary cried in a fury, What does this mean? But for fear of the anger of God, I would run you through with my sword. Then Anthony replied, with perfect composure, O oh, my brother, you do not know the honor in store for you. I envy your happiness. I long for the martyr's palm. The Lord denied it to me, but he has revealed to me that this grace is reserved for you. When that blessed hour arrives, be mindful, I beseech you, of him who foretold it to you. And it came to pass, even as it had been predicted. To a lady of rank, who recommended herself to his prayers, Anthony said, Be of good heart, my daughter, and rejoice, for the Lord will give you a son who, as a friar minor and a martyr, 
will shed luster upon the church. This prediction was likewise fulfilled. Many he delivered from sore temptations, and they were never again persecuted. To a poor sinner overwhelmed with sorrow, who could find no voice with which to confess himself, Anthony said, Go write down your sins, and bring me the parchment. The penitent did as he was bidden, returning with a tear-stained scroll. As he read out his sins one after the other, each disappeared from the parchment, and having reached the last of these, lo, the scroll was spotless. At Saint-Junien, Antony, who was about to address the public, predicted that the platform which had been erected for his use would collapse, but that no one would be injured. The fact was speedily verified. One day, preaching to a great multitude in a large square in the city of Limoges, France, a violent storm gathered and filled the people with terror. They began to disperse in haste when Antony said, Fear not, the storm will pass you by. So they remained, and though the city was deluged, not a drop of rain fell in the square where Antony was preaching. At Brevet, the saint established a little hermitage similar to the one at Monte Paolo. Postulants joined him, seeking solitude and poverty. On one occasion, when they were in distress, a much-needed alms was sent them by a lady to whom they had reluctantly applied for aid. The lady's servant carried the gift to them through a severe storm, yet going and coming, the servant walked dry-shod and not one drop of water from the pouring clouds fell upon her. One evening his companions at the hospice saw a band of marauders despoiling the field of one of the benefactors of the little community, and they hastened to complain to Anthony. Fear not, said he, tis but an artifice of the evil one to distract you. On the morrow they found that the field had been untouched. The Cathari of Rimini invited the saint to a feast of poisons. His astounding success in bringing wanderers back to the fold filled them with hatred of him. He knew at once that a snare had been laid for him by the Cathari and denounced them openly. Thereupon they said to him, Either you believe the words of the gospel or you do not. If you believe them, why hesitate to eat? Is it not written, In my name they shall cast out devils, they shall handle serpents, and if they shall drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them? If you do not believe the gospel to be true, why do you preach it? Take therefore and eat. If you go unhurt, we swear to embrace the Catholic faith. Blessing the viands, the servant of God ate and was unharmed and all those who beheld the miracle returned into the fold. Paralysis and epilepsy he cured with the sign of the cross. At Gimona, near Udine, where he was erecting a small convent on the model of the Portiuncula, he one day hailed a peasant who was passing with an ox team, and begged that a load of bricks might be brought him. The peasant, not knowing who addressed him and not caring to be pressed into Anthony's service, said, I cannot help you, for I am carrying a corpse. The truth is the peasant's son lay sleeping in the bottom of the cart. 
when the peasant a little later attempted to waken the boy so as to tell him how he had fooled the friar he found that his son was dead then he ran to antony and implored him to restore the life of the boy and antony making the sign of the cross over the body the youth arose and blessed him often under the influence of his exhortations penitents were moved to tears and convulsive sobs to such he would say to quote from his notes poor sinner why despair of thy salvation since all here speaks of mercy and of love behold the two advocates who plead thy cause before the tribunal of divine justice a mother and a redeemer mary who presents to her son her heart transfixed with the sword of sorrow jesus who presents to his father the wounds in his feet and hands and his heart pierced by the soldier's lance take courage with such a mediator with such an intercessor divine mercy cannot reject thee who could resist this appeal or fail to find strength and consolation in it chapter fifteen anthony preaches to the fishes again i return to that garden of delights the little flowers of st francis so delicate so dainty so fragrant are these flowers one cannot pass them by unnoticed the lips of the devout fashioned them and for two centuries they blossomed wherever the lovers of the saint were gathered together then they were carefully culled and brought from near and far and a bouquet was made of them and it was called the little flowers of st francis therein we find that our blessed lord and saviour jesus christ desiring to set forth the great sanctity of his most faithful servant st anthony how devout a thing it was to hear his preaching and his holy doctrines he reproved the folly of heretics and infidels through unreasoning beasts notably the fishes as of old in the bible he chid the ignorance of balaam through the mouth of the ass hence st anthony being at rimini where there was a great multitude of heretics desiring to bring them back to the light of the true faith and to the ways of virtue for many days did preach and set forth to them the faith of christ and of the holy scriptures but they not only consenting not to his holy words but even like hardened and obstinate sinners refusing to hearken unto him the saint one day by divine inspiration went forth to the banks of the river close beside the sea and standing thus upon the shore betwixt sea and stream he began to speak in the guise of a sermon in the name of god unto the fishes hear the word of god ye fishes of the sea and of the stream since heretics and infidels are loath to listen to it and having uttered these words suddenly there came toward him so great a multitude of fishes great small and middle-sized as had never been seen in that sea or in that stream or of the people round about and all held their heads up out of the water and all turned attentively toward the face of anthony and the greatest peace and meekness and order prevailed insomuch that next the shore stood the lesser fish and after them the middle fish 
and still after them, where the water was deepest, stood the larger fish. The fish being thus ranged in order, St. Anthony began solemnly to preach, speaking thus, My brothers the fish, you are greatly bounden, so far as in you lies, to thank your Creator that he hath given you so noble an element for your habitation, so that at your pleasure you have fresh waters and salt, and he hath given you many shelters against storm, he hath also given you a clear and lucid element, and food by which you may live. God, your courteous and benign Creator, when he created you, commanded you to grow and multiply, and he gave you his blessing. Then, when the great flood swallowed up the world, and all the other animals were destroyed, God preserved you only without injury or harm. Almost hath he given you wings, that you may roam whithersoever it pleases you. To you was it granted, by God's command, to preserve the prophet Jonah, and after the third day to cast him up upon the land safe and sound. You offered tribute to our Lord Jesus Christ, which he, poor and lowly, had not wherewithal to pay. You were the food of the everlasting King Christ Jesus before the resurrection, and again after it by a strange mystery. For the which things greatly are you bounden to praise and bless God, which hath given you such great and so many benefits, more than to any other creatures. Upon these and other familiar words in the teachings of St. Anthony, the fishes began to open their mouths and to bow their heads, and by these and other signs of reverence, according as it was possible to them, they praised God. Then St. Anthony, seeing such reverence in the fishes toward God their Creator, rejoiced in spirit, cried aloud, and said, Blessed be the eternal God, since fishes of the water honor him far more than heretic men, and the unreasoning beasts more readily hearken to his word than faithless men. And as St. Anthony continued his preaching, the multitude of fishes was increased yet more, and none departed from the place which he had filled. Upon this miracle the people of the town began to hasten forth, and among them were also the aforesaid heretics, the which, seeing so manifest and marvelous a miracle, felt their hearts sorely pricked, and they fell with one accord at St. Anthony's feet to hear his word. Then St. Anthony began to preach of the Catholic faith, and so nobly did he discourse that he converted all those heretics and turned them to the true faith of Christ. And all the faithful were comforted with great joy, and were confirmed in their faith. And this done, St. Anthony dismissed the fishes with the blessing of God, and they all departed with marvelous signs of rejoicing, and likewise the people. And then St. Anthony stayed in Rimini for many days, preaching and reaping a spiritual harvest of souls. End of chapter 15